The Overview is a production of Chaman V TV. Find out more about the show at chamanv.tv. What's up? What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 57 of The Overview. I'm Chaman V, and joining me today is Flame. What's up, buddy? Pretty much. Glad to be back. Such a chill, man. I love the, love the chill tone you always have, man. And uh, ZP back again with his waving flag in the background actually, showing... It's only a flag. Man, this it's is my true form right now. I have actually <laughs> merged with the American flag. I've been so patriotic over the last week that... Now I am just one with the spirit of America. Oh, my God. That's almost somber style there. Very nice. Very nice. I appreciate that. And we, we will be having a bit of campaigning and vying for your votes. <laughs> At least we have a segment that's, that's totally dedicated towards that today. So, um, But today, yeah, we got plenty of stuff to talk about. We didn't even go through any of the news last week, so we're going to definitely be covering that. Uh, but starting off with just Uprising officially over, getting a sense for what we thought of it and how maybe it ranks compared to the others. Uh, World Cup Committee, of course, that's going to be a, a big thing we're going to be talking about. And then uh, even Apex Season 3. Uh, we've had four matches now, uh, and we we had one earlier this morning, too. But we're only going to be talking about the ones from Friday. So don't expect any talk today about, you know, Metathena and, and LW Blue. So uh, we're going to save that for next week, given that none of us got a chance to watch them. And uh, those of you wondering maybe where Ben is, Ben uh, had to had to step out last minute. He had a little bit of emergency, so he'll be back next week. But hopefully everything is great with him. Okay, well, let's talk about Uprising, guys. So um, the event, the Overwatch Uprising, officially ended. And I uh, wanted to see if you guys, I don't know, what, you guys get all the skins. What would you guys think? Overall with the, uh, the you know, event itself. Um, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I'm mad that it's gone, I guess. Mm -hmm. It was good from a training perspective. I mean, I, I did all the achievements because I'm kind of an achievement hoarder, but it was, it was different. And I think that it was a lot of fun given like how it worked. It was just, it was hard sometimes I think to find people that want to grind legendary because legendary was so difficult, but <laughs> I think that that's what made it good mm -hmm. was that it was so difficult. I wound up like solo queuing it for like six hours straight and then eventually found like a random three other solo cures that did it with me, but wow. I, mean, I don't you know really if I do it again. Wow. There's basically, what Flame is saying is that there's a point where he hit max desperation, where he wanted to play the content so badly that he would find <laughs> anyone just willing to go in with him for that last Six final hours, sweet, sweet hit of Overwatch Uprising. That's what Flame is really arguing here. It's no, it's like the mat, it was so good that I suffered through <laughs> the masochism of just <laughs> sitting through it. Like, it, I mean, it was rough. It was a rough six hours, but at the end of the day, that, like, I don't regret it. That's amazing you did it with solo QRs because, I mean, every time I tried that, it was not even, I mean, we'd die like in the first couple of sections. We wouldn't even hold the point in, near the statue. It was so bad. So, I think the for me, I think the clear thing about Uprising is that it shows that Blizzard is getting a lot better at designing these sort of PvE content events for Overwatch, where I think they've been scaling up pretty quickly in terms of depth, complexity, difficulty, the things that you'd want to see from PvE content, where, of course, you had events like the Halloween event, which is sort of one of the first waves, which people really liked. But I think you can make the argument with just the different complexities to Uprising, the fact that you could bring in more than just the stock heroes and everything else. I don't know. It, Uprising, I feel like, 
it, it definitely took things up another level. And oh, yeah. it's something where I don't think going into it, the dev team is necessarily thinking of let's make tons of cool PVE content, but it's got a very good reception. It's gotten clearly better over time. So for me, it just makes me wonder when is the next bit of PVE content? The only thing I would say is sort of a bit of criticism is that th this is really cool content. I, it'd be cool if it actually stayed around after the initial period where maybe you don't give rewards or achievements, but I think there's people that would enjoy playing it even after it's taken away as yeah. a main spotlight. I think eventually that's going to be the case. I think they'll they'll add those to the arcade once they get X number under their belt. Uh, but, you know, with this PvE stuff, I have to say this is probably the most social aspect of the game that I've experienced, you know, ever since quick play in the beta. And uh, it was something that I felt like I could do with my friends, and I did. I did do it with my friends and my son, you know, just trying to get the legendary and just going through that process of, shit, I wish there was a save at this point kind of option, right? So I wouldn't have to redo the whole thing. But at the same time, that's what makes these things feel so great when you achieve them, is that the fact that you have to, okay, start over every single time and do it in one take. So, um, I, yeah, I really love it. I hope it continues to be, you know, they view it as a social aspect of, of Overwatch and, and can you continue continue to add elements that are very conducive for that. But um, I, I, what do you think the next step would be for a PvE? What, what would you like to see them do? That's a step above Uprising. Well, I think for me, I would like to see them sort of explore the idea of adding non-Overwatch game elements to a sense where you think about what could be something mm -hmm. really cool. Well, what if you combined more traditional RPG elements with the Overwatch experience. Like, what about a longer campaign where you level up and there's three different maps and there's perhaps gear? Just, like, really go all out oh, wow. and making it a That's bigger a PvE experience where you're still using the base Overwatch mechanics, but spice it up a bit with stuff that maybe isn't in the traditional game, but could be really cool in terms of just giving players more options. And it also, anytime you can potentially give the idea of a little bit more RNG. It's a little bit more inherently addictive because that's just how the human brain works. So if you had a you know small loot element to where you go, man, I had this great run where by round three, I got the best item on levels one and two, and it really made my McCree do all sorts of terrible things to the final boss. I see. I see. So some kind of buffs or random buffs that you can get that, all right, all right, I, I like that. I like that. I kind of ho hope we see some type of real boss battle. You know, none of these these kind of lame bosses that we saw in Halloween. And then this was, there really weren't bosses either in this. I mean, Ar Arissa was the closest things or at least the three at the end, but um, the OR 14, sorry, but, uh, not a serious, like, you know, giant dragon like boss, you know, we see in, in, in MMOs and things like that. That would be great if we could see something like that. And it was super hard and, and we'd have to, you know, survive and have it be high skill. That'd be really cool. I guess there's two ways I look at it. There's like the, you could Left for Dead campaign style it where you just keep making okay. multiple ones. Yeah. Um, like that or whatever. But I think another way to do, or I kind of wanted to try, I think after playing it was like maybe make that PVP somehow. Like try playing that in a PVP mode where maybe like both teams have bots on their team. I don't know, you oh. can do some crazy stuff with that or like yeah. make the objectives of King's Row that way and then like you come back for the car. <laughs> but like you have to, it, would, it would be a lot of spawn changes and stuff, but I think it also shows that there's a lot more use you can make out of the maps than okay, just like so what's given to them. And I think that that was really cool. I like the Left 4 Dead idea. Sir, would you choose the little doggy bots that damage the payload or would you choose one of the... the those are actually the, the worst. Like the, <laughs> you know? Those are definitely the biggest gripes when, when it came down to like the streets phase or whatever for that. But 
Yeah, I can see running behind the, the uh, little car and then hitting it a few times and then running back and forth. World first, Flame compa- complaining about anything dog related <laughs> in his life. Uh, I don't even know if they're. I don't know what to call them. Do they have yeah. names? They probably have names. I, I just I call thought, them the robot dogs. They were little, yeah, me too. I thought they were robot dogs. Um, how Should about skins? Marked. You guys get all the skins? I did not get all the skins. This is a case where I didn't play quite as heavily as some of the other events. And I also didn't drop my habitual $50 for the full loot box package. So (laughs) I I don't, there's a point in games where once I have enough good skins, it's actually very difficult to sell me on new skins where I'm just like, yeah, these skins are cool, but I already had these other skins that were even cooler in my opinion. Why do I need to spend it on here? Like there does hit a point for me in video games where I stop going for cosmetics because I'm drowning in other cosmetics. Is there any? Is there actually a Genji skin that's cooler than that one? Come on. I mean, we said that with Oni Genji, and then we said that no, with this like, one's better than my. We opinion. said that about one of the Reinhardt skins, I think. Reinhardt, mm. I feel like there's a bunch of Americree, Americree man, like Americree is my boy, but the Blackwatch one was Dude, pretty good. Blackwatch. So like, they're just getting better, cool. and yeah. then you're like, I know it's a dangerous game. Well, the number one loot box item of all time was the American flag that I just equipped. <laughs> Literally, I didn't unequip it uh, at any point, not necessarily for seeing the Overwatch World Cup, but when it came to the voting, it did show your player icon on the voting page. So the fact that I was able to represent with the American flag there, yeah, it was a nice bonus. Such a patriot. <laughs> Such a patriot. I tried to go the opposite route and swap. It's like the top 500 icon. I was like, oh, you guys can keep your flags. I'm going to show them who's actually. <laughs> and then <laughs> it didn't update, though, in time. So I got pretty upset. But okay. I, I think I'm still using the one of the Pachimari robots. So I'm still a good keeper. Favorite thing for me still is the, the D.Va highlight intro. Still, a, I think it's the best one in maybe the game. I, I, that's literally one of my favorite highlight intros of the game. Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah, the selfie, yeah. such good. Actually, the I, I I had a stream moment the other day where I was playing seventy six and I was like really really feeling good, and the game ended and I got my play of the game, but then it was the somber one. So like I'm starting to like really appreciate the somber one now because it like baits you into this like false sense of happiness and then like takes it away from you. I mean, it's kind of <laughs> dreary and probably dark. It but sounds like you. Man. I think that that's why I, I appreciate <laughs> that one too. Right. I'm sure that one. Well, out well, there. you're actually <laughs> Enjoy the somber play of the game intro because you're trolling someone where maybe they're playing a support hero that doesn't normally get play of the game. And then they their eyes light up and they go, I finally got play of the game. And then they see Sombra, which is already adding salt to the wound because they lost to a Sombra in a pub game. So yeah, that is a little bit evil. Jebated, I thought. Jebated, that's right. Totally. All right, well, anyways, kudos to Blizzard for this event and it'll be interesting to see what the next one is if it's going to be matched up with a real life event which i don't know in two months is there anything that that matches up it's a keeper's ap right here in two months is there anything that matches up no we're back to world cup but um there yeah, we... summer games yeah it would be summer games again most likely well, so are they going to do summer games given that there there actually isn't the olympics this year you know, summer game, especially. Well, so. there's not the Olympics this year, but there's the Overwatch World Cup again this year. So yeah. not that the World Cup and the Olympics are necessarily linked to begin with. They're two separate yeah. things. But the idea is something that goes hmm. on every four years. That's a, okay. So that that's an interesting discussion, or at least the, something to think about, is whether they'll actually have a summer games or they'll just make the summer game stuff available during that time frame. Well, we're because, creeping up on the one year, right? Should be like this Yeah, it's month. like any, like three weeks or... Something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. 
So you think they'll have an event for that, like a b- birthday event? Something. Yeah. I mean, okay. I'll be surprised if they don't. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the games in general, not just Blizzard games, but games across the whole spectrum are pretty big on anniversary events so long as people are still mm-hmm. logging in. Like, yeah, if everyone has quit your game by the one-year anniversary, maybe you <laughs> don't celebrate it because your game is dead. But right. for a game that's clearly vibrantly alive like Overwatch, yeah, of course you've got to yeah. expect some sort of event or not or log yeah. in during this three-day period to get another Bastion skin. I, I don't yeah. know. Just candles out for Evolve. Yeah. Candles out for another <laughs> <laughs> for Evolve. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's true. What well, I, I don't know what you're talking about, Flame. When I think of great payment models, I think of Evolve, where I want to pay $60 for a game and, and, and then unlock things and then pay for the season pass. I mean, the greatest thing for me about Evolve was just how much it evolved my spending on the game by taking all the money out of my wallet if I actually played the game, which thankfully I did not. And it still makes less money than Overwatch, probably per user. So uh, not the smartest model there. But yeah, we'll have to see. I, I think that would be that would be great if there's another event like so soon. I think that would be a lot of fun for a lot of people, especially if there is another piece of new content like that's uh, like the PVE accompanies it. But all right, so why don't we talk about World Cup now? Given that this, these two guys are actually part of it, and uh, for those of you wondering, um, I guess why we're talking about World Cup, it's because World Cup has moved into the second phase. Uh, last week we quite we hadn't quite gotten there yet because it started on Thursday, but we've gone from the um, the country qualification phase to now the uh, country committee voting phase, and so each of uh, you know depending on what country you live in, uh, you log into uh, WorldCup.PlayOverwatch.com, and then it will bring up you know, your country and then who the nominees for your country are. And I've already voted on this. So I don't know why that I've logged into this. And now it says I still have three votes remaining. So, but well, this is, I, this is what it looks like guys. All right. Just to, just to show you, I don't know what's going on here or what happened. Do you have more than one account. I, I mean, I have, I, I have, I mean, my son has one account and I, I have, he uses my, my other account. So but, what you're saying is, is that you're contemplating voting on your son's account, disenfranchising him just to make your vote count. No, twice. no, no. I've already voted on this account. That's why I don't understand why I still have three <laughs> votes remaining. So anyways, this is what it looks like. This is good for people who are brand new and this is what it looks like. So you get to vote on three people because there are three members of the committees. And again, there's a different committee or a candidate list for each country. And of course, I'm in America. So we've got these two guys on here as well as uh, a list of others. There's 10 total candidates and uh once you vote on them you know i think by thursday you only have one week there's a total of one week to vote for so thursday is going to end so there's only two more days to vote get your votes in but in the meantime we're going to have these guys do their best i guess to lobby for your votes or to, to to do their share of campaigning so figured we put together a fun segment where you know we, we have a little bit of a, a mini debate just since we had such an uh, eventful <laughs> eventful campaigning season this last season here in the u.s uh so all right you guys ready i got a few questions for you guys and how it's going to work is we're going to go snake style so somebody will go first and then the the they'll answer a question say and then the next person answers the same question and then i'll have the next person go first and go back and forth all right sound good works for me all right so all right first question is we'll lead with all right, we'll leave with ZP. How are you going to make America great again? In the scope of Overwatch, of course. 
Well, I think the key thing is learning from the lessons of the 2016 team, where if you take a look at the weaknesses of the 2016 team, it was a team that did not practice well together to start with. It was not a team that got a lot of time together. So for me, my number one priority would be getting together a team where I can talk to every player and look and go, look, can you guys commit to play with each other in advance of the group stages where I want the team to be on the same page. I want them to have good team chemistry. And I think you're only going to get that through a thorough trial process. So I think by going by things in a much more structural way, I think you can build a much better team than what we had in 2016, just because you'll get players that work well together, want to practice with each other. And if you select well, you'll get players that really do care about the USA doing well this year, rather than just going, ah, I guess I'm in. All right. Good answer. Good answer. Flame, how about you? How are you going to make America great again? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't have like a speech prepared for this, but <laughs> oh, no. I think logistically my ideas are a little different. I think I'm not really focusing much on 2016's failures. I'm focusing on more of the scene in general and like how the current Overwatch structure is in terms of like how they pick players and how they do or don't practice or their leadership qualities or even their attributes that make them potential role models. Like, I think it's important to get a team that the players and the viewers can get behind and like the fans of Overwatch while also creating a team that's obviously very high skilled, but still cohesive. And I think that a lot, there's a lot more to it than just skill and just like tryouts. Like I'm down with tryouts, but I think that I would like preferably have like a core four ish that I knew that I wanted on the team, regardless of tryouts, and then maybe like use tryouts oh. to figure out the other slots because I do think that there's like not any value in bringing six people in and saying like, oh, we don't have any starting point. So actually, yeah. I think that's a big mistake because if you don't want oh. tryouts, flame, you're not going to be able to vet players that otherwise might have a chance of making the team. You would have to really go towards more players that are tournament proven in the recent time. Like to give you an example, if you don't run tryouts especially for as many slots as a core four, here's the people that you're disenfranchising We do that. There's potential talent at the very top of the ladder where maybe they would work out well in a potential team. We don't know. We have to try them out to figure that out. There's also the idea of players that have been out of tournament level play for half a year or more. You have your players like Seagull and Tailspin where you can't really put them on the team right now without seeing if they can actually do well in a tournament environment because they just haven't played in that long. So in fairness to those players, I think you have to let them prove themselves in the tribe environment am i wrong i mean i think that it's a liability thing i don't i don't I, personally if it were me i wouldn't care right like i wouldn't take the i would just okay. take the blame you know like oh okay i picked this team and i'm standing by it and if you guys don't like that then whatever as opposed to like oh i went through everybody and i gave them all a fair shot and based on my statistics i think that this player is better at this role at this current time like i think it's more important for me to pick six people at the end of the day that i can work with that are respectable that I respect that respect me or whoever's coaching and that I know will like show up, commit and have the drive to win as opposed to like showing up in a tryout for a week. There's a lot more to overwatch than trying out for a couple of right, days. Right, right. Yeah. We're, we're going to get, okay. I want to keep with this debate. All right, well, okay. okay. Not an open topic here. So I'm going to go with flame now in this next one. Uh, what do you think the people, the American people want their team to be? Given that last year, you know, we had a little bit of mixture of, I would say, um, you know, some popular personalities, content makers, you know, just just for the from an angle of getting some more exposure to the event. This year, what do you think the American people want? 
in terms of the team. I mean, I guess in terms of the team, Mm -hmm. it's more important for me that the, I mean, I don't see it as like an exposure thing at the beginning. I think it's more, you create the team and then you let the team, like you start making it around that. You start saying like, oh, okay, we have these six players. I want to market the team as this like cohesive group. I want them to be respectable. I want them to put out content that like the players can get around, maybe like put out vlogs and stuff. But I think it's important that the viewers understand like what practice is going into or like how the players respond to things and who they are on a personal level as opposed to just the player level. So let me rephrase a little bit. Yeah. Let me, do you, do you think that people want a purely competitive team that will just, that is going to be built don't really care about the popularity of these players and that whole marketing aspect of the players. All that matters is just winning this event. Or do you think think that that's my mentality is it's more important. I think it would be better. And I mean, right at the beginning of the day, if, or at the end of the day, if we start off the event and I pick a team, people are like, how are you going to pick this team? I don't agree with this. I should have picked this guy. And then you lose like what there is like it's better i think if people are angry at the beginning and then really happy at the end right. like you know what i mean so it's I know what you mean it's mm-hmm. more a, how you assess that or how you deal with that like if i were to make a team that i personally thought was going to do well and it did well i think that yeah. that'd be more important than picking what everybody wanted and then maybe it flopping because i took too much outside okay whatever Z- zp what do the people want in your opinion well, first of all, they want a team that's going to win. I think it's clear to say that if you put together a team that, for whatever reason, is not very good at winning, and you go down to Brazil in the group stages, that's not what the people want. The people want <laughs> to see the USA yeah. playing in November. Yes. And yes. you're only going to get to play in November if you build a good team. So that's number one, is that you need a team that can win. Number two is that I do think that they want a fair and transparent process where I think that if you can show them, here's how the team is being built, here's the power of a committee system, and yes, you have empowered me as an expert, but I'm empowering you by showing you what goes into my decision-making. How am I putting these players on this team? And you give people a connection with the USA team before the six members are even chosen. You give them a connection afterwards, and you show them that this is why your votes were well-placed because I'm going to give you the best possible team available. And I think that's the approach that they want to see. I don't think they want to see something where it's sort of like, ah, guys, we built a team and maybe it's good, maybe it's not. I think people would very much enjoy being part of a larger process. And not every country, I don't think, is going to do this, depending on who you get in there, especially if you have committees where the players are playing all the rest. But I think the USA is uniquely suited to be able to have an interactive experience, put together a very good team, and who knows where uh, things land in November. If you build the right chemistry, I think we could surprise a lot of people in regards to just how far we go. Okay, next, ZP, you mentioned this whole tryout. You know, you were making some very, very good points about you know, how, um, why they should, you should have tryouts and things like that. What type of tryouts are you talking about here? Are you talking about, okay, we, we've determined five people we want, and we're going to try out one person at a time just to try to fill the sixth rule? Are we talking about you know, Overwatch League combine style where, you know, we get a chance to see how good they aim and things like that. So my ideal trial process right now, and I've put quite a bit of thought into this, would be the idea of effectively having Team USA or A versus Team USA B versus Team USA C versus D. Basically, find the players that, looking throughout the community, where you look at them and go, These, this person could have what it takes to be in the final USA team. And then you run scrims, where you have Team 1 versus Team 2, you run them against each other, and then you swap something up where you go, hmm, 
I felt like the DPS play from a player on team one was really, really good, but the tank and support play from team two was actually a bit better. What happens when we put that really good DPS player with the good tank and support players? And you can stream all this. You can make all this a public process as you go through and figure out what players are working with each other. Also, while the teams are playing with each other, you can be listening in on comms. You can let people hear the communication structures. So you can go, look, this Lucio right now is making amazing calls where even if we put him on a team that right now we feel is a little bit weaker skill-wise, the power of his shot calling is such that they're actually doing really well. They're winning games against a team that might be more individually skilled. There's so many parts that go into an Overwatch team in regards to this. And the part where you can basically play Puppet Master and turn them back and forth and see which team is going to be the best by switching players up, I think it's pretty exciting. And because you can run in this format, you can actually go through quite a few players from the different top USA teams, players that you might suspect would be good, but then you can verify before you actually put them on the team rather than committing way in advance. All right, Flame, what do you think? Uh, just assessment of players and i mean it could be anything it could be assessment of their I mean, play of their personalities and everything this is this is my logic i'm not living in tryout 14 world <laughs> okay i'm doing i'm thinking more i've watched na overwatch for the past year like pretty in depth i would say i have a good understanding personally of player personalities and maturity and public image and stuff all like all these little factors that i think are important in friendliness just personability um Whatever, you know, so but I think you... that I have like four maybe in my head that are like probably like set. Like I would think like, okay, I want this. I want these four people representing the country. I think that they're the best at their role based off what I've seen. And Flame. like I could go from there and just maybe do like one or two people tryouts like the normal team way. I guess the go to the question here, Flame, you specifically said that you already have four people in mind that you want put on the USA team. And what I was going to say to you is that I think that the depth of talent in USA is such that I don't know if you can really decide on one person immediately here, because no matter who you mention, there's another player you can talk about that could be just as good, if not better. And you have to judge the team playing to each, with each other chemistry-wise. You're saying that you already know that the four players are going to have great chemistry with each other, but I don't think you can take that for granted. I think that as committee members, isn't our job to try a few different combinations of permutations and make sure we put out the best team? Because we will have some time to prep for this. It's not like we have to immediately choose a team in two days. We have time to really ferret things out, be in depth, and make sure that we're not just settling for someone who could be second, third, fourth, or worse in that particular spot. I mean, again, it's not an all-star game in my head. Like, it never was, and it never will be. I think that Agreed. I even had this conversation today that <clears throat> you can argue that Rogue would be better if you swapped out two players, but you like you can't do that. Like that's not how it works. But I'm not advocating for an all-star game. I'm, saying, I'm saying like from I'm saying it. I'm saying you can't. If I know if I have two players in my head that I think are the best uncontested in NA right now at their roles, two or three. Forget the four. Let's just go up to three. And I say to them like, who do you guys want to play with? I think that that's more important than individual skill. And yeah, there's chemistry. There, all these other things. Yeah. Like I think, yeah. in my opinion, as someone who watches everything, who like analyzes everything, who sees the hero pools, who like pays attention to what's going on generally across all the games, I think that I have a decent enough understanding of the NA players. And it's not so much all about this like talent thing in my head. I think it's also cohesion, uh, mm -hmm. likability, coachability, 
like learning desire drive what it means to them to win how much they want it you know all these other factors i think that anybody can have a good play for a week on a tryout i think that we've seen a lot of teams from na even just like put together these like mashed up all-star we tried out for a week rosters and then they go zero and six across two different group stages i think that there's a lot of that going on in the scene right now i think it's more yeah. important to put out a team that likes each other that wants to play with each other that is driven to win, that has a lot to prove for themselves. And I think that I have a decent understanding currently of who I would want representing this country in a World Cup. I think that I have a good understanding of how these players talk to each other or don't talk to each other. I think that I know where the beef is between certain teams (laughs) and players. Um, I mean, there's like all these different factors. I don't think it's as cut and dry as like, oh, they played really well for a tryout because this is six months from now, right? Like, World Cup is going to start in the summer, so maybe we have until July for a match. So I have two months. Like, can I make a team that's going to be really good in two months? Like, is the best player right now going to be the best player in two months? Does the hero pool have a lot to do with that? Does attitude have a lot to do with that? Does, like, how well they learn based off what I know or how I perceive them? I think it's all about, like, taking responsibility for your decision. I don't think that, I don't know, if the community is like, oh, my God, flame pick these people, but then we do really well, like, they're not going to care. And if people are like, I need more transparency, then like I can just be like, I don't think you do. And what like what's the worst that happens, you know? So well, the one thing not, that the American okay. public loves though is transparency. They don't yeah, like but things I'm, going but I'm giving them logic, doors. right? I'm but, giving but, them but, my But just reasoning. to go to your point, like the te- one of your key points here is that <laughs> certain groups of players have chemistry with each other. And I don't discount that. I just think that you have different groups of highly skilled players, and you are gonna have to mix these players together in interesting ways where I do think you have to try it out without testing it out. Uh, without committing immediately to give you a good example, right? Where you take a look at really good tanks in North America. Bezar is clearly one of the leading candidates to be a tank on team USA because he's had consistently good progress over almost two years now. And clearly he would enjoy playing with perhaps people he's played with in the past, whether it be team liquid or former teammates, obviously there'd be chemistry there, but then there's other things to look at here where you have players like Jake that have had very big ups and very big downs where he's been a rising star. And even though he's been more on the downside recently, maybe he has a very good trial process, but he would also have different players he would like to play with. So I think that even in your theory of you think you know who's going to play there and they have players they want to play with, I think that USA competition is diverse enough that you have multiple sets of those groups. And just setting on one group early on not only might not be giving us the best USA team, but it also could very arguably be disenfranchising these players that you from the beginning are not giving a shot to begin with when many people view them as some of the top players in the game. And I would like to at least respect that and give those players an opportunity to play. So, so okay. here's the. Here's I mean, the that's my response. That is okay. Like, so, like okay. Like, I don't. I'm not saying that what you're saying is wrong. I think that there's two approaches to take. There's the one of, I, I'm all about mitigating risk. I think. I think that if I know a player is good and I respect them and I think that they will perform well and I can rely on them as an individual, that carries a lot more weight than some trial process. I think that if I know that I can count on this person as a human, as a adult, as someone that I would respect, <laughs> then like you don't want like I'm not I'm not calling anybody out. I'm not like saying anything. I think it's all about taking responsibility for what you say. I mean, I don't I don't have a problem with what you're saying. I don't like disagree that there is multiple talents. I do disagree though that they are all equal in terms of like how it's all about how you value them. It's not about it's like one perception is not better than the other. Like you can argue that players are just as good as each other and maybe they'll be better later, 
But if I know that like a couple players are good t- together, like each other, and like will have a drive to like want to compete amongst each other, and I know that like I'm I can like that's firmly believe in that, then that's way more important to me than some like speculation that someone might be good by the time that the tournament rolls around. I think that I have a decent enough picture of like what I would want a team to look like if I were to pick from the top of all of North America or USA's talent in particular to make a team that would look really good on paper and be able to like beat every other country. So I think that like so, mix and matching can work, but why would I go right. that route if so, I can so just, take the safe Just one? a quick response here. One yeah, of the key appeals you're going at here is you go with, I know these guys and because I know they're not going to flake out their goal. This is why I want to go with them. Again, I would sort of give you the idea that we both know the Overwatch community flame. It goes all the way back two years. There's no way that there's not multiple groups of people that we know aren't going to flake out where we know they're hard competitors that have been around. It's not like there's just one true group of people that are the most impeccable of character, the most undeniable, and therefore they should be the one for people that we just immediately yeah. rally behind. There's more good people in the Overwatch community. Yeah, than yeah sure. I mean, out. if you, you want to try out people from the ladder with no LAN experience to play for an international LAN tournament against all the best players in the world, then be my guest, I guess, is my well, response to I think I think both of you guys have, I think, good points. I mean, first off, like, how practical is it to really try out every single, you know, um, not player not to mention even just pro i mean there's a ton of pro players that are good okay so first off and and do a very thorough trial i think that could be tough you know versus starting with some kind of um some kind of idea of what you're looking for and then kind of working from there uh the second thing though i would say is that yeah with all things being equal equal skill and stuff like that you take the intangibles like whether the professional like how they're going to treat all this professional um uh, just some of the duties that they're going to have to do being part of the team and that sort of thing but I don't think that's necessarily always true. I, I mean, I think we can all probably say that there are definitely people from a skill standpoint, there are certain pros that are just better than everybody else, and we could probably pick them out. Some might be two. There might be two at those positions in, in some cases. So I wanted to pose the question this to you guys. Is there an element that's similar to, say, let's just say basketball as an example? When we're talking about like the USA basketball team, there are definitely role players that are chosen. And, and it's for this kind of like chemistry for you. They're, they're going to go and, and, you know, assume the position that they should be they're, There's not going to be egos involved there and they know what they're supposed to do. Is there an element of that in Overwatch given that, I mean, and, and the people I'm talking about, by the way, are not necessarily the best skill wise at their position, but they just fit into a dynamic exactly. that makes the team. hundred percent. So, so there is that element in Overwatch. Like, that is like, well, that is well, the sure, basis that's, for well, my that's part- logic. Well, it's also the basis for evaluating players as well, because when you put them in a team environment, the key part of looking back there would be taking a look at comms, who's really interacting with each other. And sort of to address two things, uh, one thing you brought up, uh, Chairman, one uh, going back to Flame, you talk about the idea, does everyone get in and get a tryout? Well, no. I mean, you're still talking about process that you're looking at for a team of six, you still maybe go through no more than 50 or 60 people at the absolute max and probably not even that much. There are people leading candidates that are there, but there's certainly more leading candidates than four. And also it's the idea of the latter stuff is that I do think some of the very, very top people are worth exploring because if you take a look at trends in Overwatch, it is undeniable that some of the very best players in the scene right now basically came up as ladder warriors where they started there, impressed people with incredible play, and got on the teams, and now are some of the most dominant players of the game. I mean, you need to look no further than a player like DeFran from Denmark, where DeFran 
That's his MO. That's where he got picked up by Selfless. And now you talk with other top hit scan players in the game. They'll tell you, yeah, DeFran is one of the very best players in the game who's absolutely scary to go against. So if you're doing, you're looking at all talent in the USA and trying to build this team, you don't necessarily ignore players because they're the equivalent of rookie status. I think that you still keep an eye on them. You don't perhaps value them as highly as a much more competitively proven player, but you still keep that open eye to certain respects because this is the type of thing where, don't forget, as a committee, we would be getting data from Blizzard going, here are these players, here are their stats. Maybe we get a little bit of extra hidden data that oh. isn't publicly available. You okay. never know. So mm-hmm. if there's some crazy cool. outlier there, I wouldn't want to just dismiss it outright and say, no, this person does have this experience when we've seen that some of the very best players in Overwatch can come from that pool. Right. Okay. Mm, I approach everything logically and like mitigating risk is definitely the biggest thing for me. I agree. That that is definitely a a big I do not think that it would be intelligent to pick anybody off the ladder who has zero land experience, zero competitive experience. I think that that idea is god awful. And while it could work, sure. I don't think that I need to throw a Hail Mary yet for Team USA. I think Team USA has enough good players to just pull out and say, you guys can make a good team and that's it. Like, I don't so here's, so a question for, here's, a, here's a question for you. Wait, wait, wait Jen. I, okay, I have one, okay. th- one quick Last follow-up one. that's very good. Last follow-up. Right. But in that case, then, do you think that the idea of the Overwatch League Combine is a bad idea? Because the entire way that that was proposed was <laughs> that people from top of the ladder would be tried out to be brought in and looked at for the very pinnacle of competition in the game. So what you're saying here is that the idea that people should be looked at at all from ladder is not something that should happen, but I feel like there's already strong evidence that goes against that. I mean, are you trying to compare a global 16-team league across the entire country, possibly America and Europe, to me picking the best six players in USA right now? Because that's a completely like irrelevant argument, I think. I think if you were trying to fill 16 teams, we would definitely have to do teams A through Z like you proposed. I don't think that that applies to picking a squad that you want to roll with. Um, I'm, there. If you were trying to make a combine to fill slots for overwatch league there would obviously be entire teams that maybe have to come from ladder but we're not there right now like why would i go to the ladder if i didn't have to and i don't even if there were a combine scenario orgs wouldn't go to the combine unless they had to so that's my take on it i mean you're um i don't i don't think your analogy is valid or worth anything in terms of how that was questioned i think that if you don't There's think no it's reason. valid, let, let me ask you this then. A player like DeFran, if DeFran were in the U.S. right now, would you consider DeFran for the USA committee? Or I mean, maybe. The USA team. But I still think he's a wild card, right? Like, where's his line experience? I don't, like, Yeah, I mean, the, I mean? the, the so issue, again, ZP, is just, risk. like, the practicality of it. Like, how do you do it? Like, how, how are you going to consider all, each of these people? Um, because, in, in theory, it's like, I love the open, I mean, from a conceptual standpoint, this open kind of style where literally anybody has the potential of making a team is like a great idealistic one in my eyes but when it comes to you know a committee choosing it's you only have limited amount of time you guys don't have like forever unless we can can you guys be changing teams like like from week to week i mean you want to lock in a team right you're going to want to lock in a team that practices for weeks in advance to this this uh event um so i don't I don't know if it's even possible to do that, ZP. Like you could do it to but, a degree. But to that, but to that you point, could do right? it to a degree, but not let's say, like let's every say we, single let's, person. Let, let's, let's make an argument right now. Yeah. We'll take AKM for example. Let's say AKM is in USA. I think AKM is a great player. Yeah. And DeFran is USA, and but 
AKM I've seen perform on LAN. I think AKM's great, but maybe Defran has better online stats. Like I'm always going to go with AKM. So I like there's no point in taking risks, in my opinion, with players that are unproven in whatever regard or We're when close, you know that there's a player there. there that's at a reputable skill level that you know can perform. I, I don't see that as a thought in my head. However, when you take a look at the hit scan level in the U.S. right now, that's sort of a false analogy because AKM and DeFran are much, much closer yeah, than I think close. DeFran is to some of the other USA hit scan players right now. Like, I think there is a tangible gap. Mm, I think that I don't and think the goal, that's true. And the goal there in terms of looking at that would be in the U.S. would be, is there a player where you look at the sum total of the parts, right? You're not necessarily going, oh, it's just land experience or it's just this. You're going, is there some part to this player total package wise that is highly impressive to where it maybe makes up for some of the aspects that they don't have and it's a case where at the very least you have to be open to this i feel like you're going into it the idea of just four players that you want to pick immediately and i feel like regardless of how you do a trial process how you open i think you should be open to more players on the usa spectrum rather than simply walking (laughs) things in in my opinion right now right now based on the professional scene there are Maybe what eight teams with I don't even know. I'm gonna make I'm just gonna make up a number. Say there's 10 and eight teams right now. I think that that's even way too high. How there's only maybe six of them with actual USA players, and then half of them might like NA in general, and then half of them might be Canadian. There's maybe like two main tanks, there's maybe three NA Annas, there's or healers in general, there's maybe two Lucios. Um, my pool doesn't go teams A through G. It goes teams A through B and a, like maybe B and a half. Um, I don't think that I need like if I'm going to pick one core or two core players to pick around because I know that I want that player. I know that this player, in my opinion, is the best player at his role and has the biggest impact in all of his matches or something. And I know his comms are good. I know that his like attitude is good i know his play is good i know that his hero pool is good i know that he views the game the way i think that it should be viewed and i want to build around like maybe that one player and build a roster around that to make a usa team capable of winning but i think that that in my opinion is completely so, doable legitimate and does not require me going to the ladder to pick up the number one rank mercy <laughs> on the but, but it, here's the thing is that you're taking one part of the campaign part which is this possibility right let's go to more established players here and go is there a single player right now that you can pick where you think that he that player is unrivaled for their particular spot just a thought experiment which player no no no, i'm not we're not Uh, we're not not naming we're not naming you're not gonna name okay okay but the reason why i say that is that i think no matter who you name there are in most roles there's at least one other option sure needs to be i don't don't disagree with that right but that's not the that's not the point in my opinion that's not the point of the committee right the committee is to pick a team that they want to work with. It's like if you voted up six people that are more familiar or more comfortable with another player, then maybe that would make sense or three people rather. So like, I think that it's all about in my, like my, my mentality of it would be, I would just coach this team. So if I were to coach a team, I just pick players in general that, or I would build my team around people that I thought I could definitely work with and then get their opinions and say, okay, we're us three are going to do this. Let's take team USA to the top. And then we're going to, pick out three more players and you guys can tell me who you guys think is good because maybe I don't know them as well as you do, or maybe you, th- you have experiences with them on land that I don't. 
And that would be how I would build a team. I wouldn't be like, oh, you might be the best tank, but maybe you're just as good as that guy. But maybe I don't want to work with that person or something, you know? So So I think that that makes more sense, in my opinion, if that were my approach to how the whole thing would work. But but I feel like that introduces (laughs) an element of favoritism to some extent. What you really want to do here is, for me, I don't... No, 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 no. no, It's not that there's a case case where there might be players that... Listen, Flame, there might be players that maybe I personally dislike. There's not many, but there are. But I wouldn't discount them for a team building process because at the end, I feel like by entering into this, you sort of have an oath to the voters to put together the best possible oh, team, the, not right. just the best possible team that you're you like, play, want to no, no, no. You're playing this card like I'm yeah. the people's champion, but it's more you need to pick a team that's going to win. And you you have to be responsible for that team that's going to win. Yeah, I want to take true. full responsibility for Team USA's failures. That's why I signed up. That's why I've been campaigning like, if Team USA goes to shit, I want to be the reason why it went to shit. I don't want, like, the trial process to be the issue. I don't want, like, me doing some weird, like, thought about who's better, who might be better, who is favoritism. It's about picking a team that's going to win and a team that I think I can lead to victory. If I don't like a player and I don't think I could lead them to victory, then, okay, that's favoritism, but you got no- I got nominated to that spot to be the person who made that decision. So I'm taking responsibility for that decision. It's not about... Favoritism. It's about okay taking All right, last, charge and being responsible I mean, for what you the, the, Okay, in the end, guys, you guys are both saying. I mean, you guys approach it a little differently, but I feel like you guys are not totally disagreeing or given that ZP is just saying have every player open to the selection process and flame. You're saying the committee is accountable for making a team that's going to represent the country. And mm-hmm. both of you guys are right. <laughs> you guys are totally right. So just, there's no doubt that the team is committed. I mean, your I, name I mean, is on the committee, no matter what team you pick, it doesn't matter what process you go. If you go through an open process and the team gets wrecked, no, but there's a like, difference. Well, there's there's a difference. If you go through the open process yeah. and the team gets wrecked, maybe I'd yeah. rather pick the team myself and just take the full blame for it. As opposed to just being like, oh, well, we yeah, tried there's these a difference people out there. and absolutely you know, I didn't really feel as committed about it. And I think that maybe we could have swapped out some players. Like, no, I want a team that I personally would be proud of to, like, oh my God. get going. If, if the economy goes to shit for a president, do the factors outside of his control, like, oh people God. are going to go, if, oh, the, If you guys are on the committee so together, I think I'm going to scream. No, but, what, what, but how is that, how is oh that comparable? Goodness. It would be like, the, it would be the equivalent oh. of if I wrote the entire policy myself and then the economy went to shit. <laughs> Which, oh, regardless, Which whoever great. whoever has their name on the this ship is... gets the blame. Like I don't think there's an extra level of blame. No, that, that, so, yeah, so I mean, people so will, people will will have scapegoats if they you know are are trying to say you know, let's just say the committee decides to take the people's vote. I mean, they could do that. They could set up their own voting system and have the people vote who has six guys they want. Yeah, they sign. They sign. I could like end, Twitch chat vote. We could just be like, everyone type exclamation mark one for X player. Yeah, I mean, and then we just the process. Yeah, like, oh, well, Twitch yeah. picked it. I didn't do it. Like, no, I'd but rather. There's just- there's a different level of accountability versus you know that process versus you know you're picking the team. You know, the three of you guys pick the team, and it might not be popular, but you're taking that chance PR wise. It could blow up in your face. Or you could be the hero that we all want, right? The national hero or the, the three heroes that we all want. So, um, you know, I, I totally understand both sides of it. Um, again, it's just a different way of trying to come up with the, the best team or the team that it doesn't have to necessarily be the best team. It's just the team that the three people feel will be the best team that has the best chance of winning the World Cup. Um, so I'll pose this. Let me pose this question to you guys. So let's say you were Team France, Okay. And the the most obvious thing with the uh, you know is Team Rogues already together and they're all French, and they've all been playing together. So, 
is the default route. I'll take both of y'all's opinions on this. Um, would you take Team Rogue to represent France uh, by default just because of all that experience? Mm-hmm. So, okay, so Flame, I, I pretty much know your answer. Just, it's a yes. It's, okay. uh, yeah, it's a yes. All right, ZP. Team Rogue is something you probably have to take in the France's case because unlike the U.S. where any major USA team is a merger team where you don't have a full U.S.-U.S. team that's also dominant, Rogue is just a special case where they're all French, they're all incredibly dominant, and they're all ready to go. So you don't have the option of taking a Rogue in the U.S., but if you're in France, and yeah, throwing Rogue in as your main team makes all the sense in the world. But should they go through the process of like finding like ladder players and all that stuff too, or... We're not. Well, no, because again, yeah. you don't have the, it's not an analogous situation to the USA at all, Chan Man, yeah, where sure. the US does not have a power team that is dominant in the region, number mm-hmm. one undisputed. Any US team is going to have to be a blend of different teams, which means that you have more incentive to right. look for different pieces. Right, let's let's make it spicy. We'll make it spicy. Get off, <laughs> get off France. Let's go to Sweden. Okay, okay, oh. Sweden. All right. Sweden knows yes. where this is going. Like, yes. Guys, like, yes. I, okay. Let's go. Let's go. All right, Sweden. That's a good example. That's something in between, right? What do we do there? Well, Sweden is its own can of worms, right? Where if you go by what Tavik wants on Twitter, Tavik wants to just send the entire Misfits team. Right. But then you have extremely strong players that are very arguably much stronger than their counterparts on Misfits that also want to get in and play. You have your Chips, your Coco, and then, of course, you have the wild card of IDDQD, who's very likely to be on the committee in terms of helping decide <laughs> all of this. Sure. So, I mean, there's multiple ways Sweden could go down, and I, I don't know. It's it can be interesting to watch because I do feel like it could be just a spicy situation. Can you be a player and a committee member? Yeah. Sweden, yes. Oh, my Everywhere gosh. you can, actually. I wonder if that's considered a conflict of interest there. I, I feel like you shouldn't, by the way. I feel like if you're on the committee, you should not be able to play. My opinion, well, though. You have to realize, though, they had to make that compromise because unlike the U.S., where you do have a rather big bench of analysts, coaches, casters, etc., yeah. where you could go with the non-player committee, almost every other country doesn't have that option, right? Where you had to go to players to fill out your 10 slots, which means that it would be a little bit okay. rough to the players to go actually uh because you're on the committee you can't play but we also nominated you for the committee because you're one of the most notable players in your region it's actually it's a pretty difficult situation so i understand why it had to be done that way i guess the other two you could have said i didn't vote the other two guys voted me in so (laughs) that'd be okay in that regard um so did we really answer the question yet here no i mean i mean mean, from my perspective yeah there's two arguments right there's the argument of their synergy will be better and then there's the argument of there's just better players out there than the current Misfits roster. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you can definitely make a case for Chips and Coco. 100% you can make a case for Chips and Coco. Yeah. You can definitely make a case for maybe IDDQD, depending on how good he is at the time or okay. whatever, Mendo even. There's a lot of players in Sweden. Um, so it's just a matter of circumstance that we're talking about. you know. Especially yeah, but then it goes back to the same question that I think is back to the U.S. is do you go off synergy in and coachability and ease of getting to the team and stuff like that? Or do you go for the skill? And I think but, that there's but so here's the thing, Flynn, is that the U.S. has to pull a rabbit out of its hat in really making a team stronger than the sum of its parts. Because if you look at the U.S., not that there's a full six-player USA team to begin with right now, but the teams that come closest, they can't beat Rogue in a straight one-on-one right now. Maybe like, in six months, though, they could. 
maybe they could, but that's a lot of faith here compared to the idea of really trying to unturn every. So, are you saying that the together. team USA is going to lose no matter what to no. France right now? That is what I'm saying. If they go with your plan, they will. The USAID is going to be sponsored after this. Is like from your plan, it's a very good shot. If you go yeah. for a plan that tries to extract the most talent out of the USA roster, then perhaps you do have a shot of going and upsetting the Frances and Koreas of the wor- world. That's I see that. I see the logic here. there, too. I mean, sure, I see it. But regardless of who you put together, it's going to be a new entity. It, it doesn't even matter. You know, like it, If it's known entities with the U.S. pro players, it's still going to be a new entity. So that's always going to be a possibility. But then you, you would get the team that you want to coach. Sure. Right. Okay, man. You guys, oh man, I can't imagine if I was the third member of this committee right now. I, I'd be, uh, be hard pressed to, to have to, to figure out who's going to be or what we're going to decide to do here. Um, but let's talk about that. You, you know, this is a three, you guys have spoke about, you know, what you guys would want to do, but you guys are going to have to work as a team too, even as a committee. So, um, yeah, I mean, how do you see this going? Is this just going to be voting on this two to one or just, you know, basically best of three kind of votes or on, on certain aspects of it? Or how do you see this working? I mean, personally, if everyone disagrees with me, I'm not going to stop them, right? Like, I'm not going to argue. If people think that the team is bad, I'll just say it or I'll, or like my team is bad or something or my ideas are bad, then I'll just go with the majority. Mm-hmm. But it'll be, it'll be interesting to see who takes the accountability, I think, at the end of the day. I think that accountability is a big part of it. Um, if you're just if the if the goal of the committee is to pick six players and just let them do their thing and hope that they're good by the time World Cup comes around and they figure it out themselves, then like that's one way to go about it, right? Well, isn't it? I mean, it's a joint process, so it's it's not literally, hey guys, um, you come up with your six, yeah, you know, you come up with your six and you come up with your six and we'll come and then we'll see like how we can mix and match and do a union of all these things. It's not necessarily that. I mean, you can come up with a process. And I think ZP is more in the line of that kind of coming up with this general process of figuring out how we even get you know, the, the list of six people as a, you know, collective, uh, three threesome versus just coming up with our own lists and seeing how those. No, no, I mean, no, 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 there's definitely room for compromise. It's just a matter of, um, I think it's, if everything goes South, obviously Mm -hmm. I think it would be worse if nobody was responsible. Oh, of course. You're obsessed with this idea of taking responsibility. Here's how accountability works in this case. Anyone's name that's on the committee is responsible. That's just how it goes. Yeah. And that is part of what we take on by getting voted in potentially is that we're responsible. That just, and that's why for me, I don't want to leave any stone unturned. I don't want to commit early. I want to look at the very best players in the region and put together the best team from that. I don't want to close my mind the possibilities that could be better because teams like Korea, teams like France are going to be very tough. And it's important that we put together the very best team to deal with that. Yeah, but who's who's gonna take control of this team? Is my question. This is another. This is like a whole other discussion. But who's in charge of making this team better, or coaching them, or watching Boz with them, or managing? Well, I mean, them? as part of the committee, is a coach too? Like or, the commi- I, I mean, would say that is the three man team like the coach too. <laughs> I mean, I don't exactly. I don't know. That's I, another question. I figure you guys would assign a coach too. Yeah, as far as that goes, yeah. I mean, for me, I even said in the beginning that my general idea was you bring in other experts. Like, for example, you take a look at a guy like Kai Kai. Kai Kai is extremely invested in the USA winning. So even yeah. if Kai Kai isn't voted onto the committee and I say I was, I would want to bring him in to help advise and help out with all the processes of picking a team and fi- figuring out what is going to make for the best team overall. 
So are you guys anticipating, I forget what they said with rosters. Does it have to be six man or can you have eight, eight on a team, you know, just have bench? Uh, I hope it's like bench? seven at least, but I have no okay. six. Yeah. It's seven, six like... with the committee members as emergency subs. Oh, even more reason why to have possible players, I guess. Um, okay. Well, I think we, I think we talked through a lot of this. And um, again, these both of these guys, you know, are are on the ballots. So maybe last statements from each of you guys, just to to lobby your votes, get the you know the people at least watching to to use one of their three votes on you. ZP, I'll have you go first. All right. Well, just uh, in conclusion to all this, first of all, you do get three votes, so you can vote for everyone that is on here. That is one. <laughs> Except but, for uh, me. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, aside from Chan Man. But uh, <laughs> as far as it goes, for me, my end goal at the end of the day is to maximize the chances of the u.s getting gold simple as that and i feel like to do that you really do have to open your mind to other possibilities that are around because u.s unlike other countries cannot simply pull together a very easy super team you're going to have to find a magic combination that is not obvious and i think we can do that i do believe that the talent is here in the u.s to make a strong competitive run but you are going to need to be open find the best combinations of players and go from there. And I think there's a lot of talent in the U S scene, but if you just tunnel vision on one thing, I don't think it's going to happen. All right. Flame last, last statements, last campaigning. I am <laughs> sure that I can create a team of six players. <laughs> oh my gosh. That right, will and like can compete ending. on the level required to win the world cup. And <laughs> okay. I am not, right. I have no doubts in my mind that there is a roster out there that is, good enough to make all those goals or ends meet okay we're gonna conclude world cup committee but um definitely excited to see how all of them pan out and um you know it's going to move on to the next stages which will be a long process it's gonna be a long process of, of figuring out what the teams will be but um you know i i like the decision that blizzard made to do this committee system and it's you know we're talking about it a lot already so uh, you know, kudos to them for at least uh, putting this together, and we'll see how it res- and what the end results are, and and uh, how uh, who ends up winning, and just who again is is going to be um, you know getting the blame or all that stuff for for uh, or actually taking the credit for winning and and getting the blame for not winning. Okay, so well, I want to give a shout out to a bunch of the folks that are listening on iTunes. For those of you that didn't know, the overview is available on, on a bunch of audio channels, iTunes, uh, Google Play, and SoundCloud. And folks on iTunes, it really helps out whenever they leave ratings for us, especially five-star ratings. And um, I want to give a shout out to White Rose C for doing that. And if you want to help out the show and help people find the overview by searching for Overwatch, um, you can just go to iTunes. It takes like a minute. Just go there, leave us a nice rating, and... We'd really appreciate it. All right, we've got news next. Lots and lots of news that we didn't get a chance to talk about last week. So some of this will be old, some of this will be new. It's just going to be a mixture of all of it, so take that into account. Okay, first off, uh, it was announced maybe two days ago that a new team has been put together, and Flame's actually part of this team. Uh, And it's not like your traditional team. (laughs) It's not like your normal professional team. It's actually a educational slash I would say content team called team Valfard. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce it exactly. Cause there's it's a like Valfard. Valfard. Is, it's, is it Swedish? It's, is yeah, it what? It's Swedish. it's Swedish. And, um, it's kind of a mixture of a scrim team slash content making team slash, uh, I don't know. You describe it flame flame is one of the analysts that are on this team. 
Well, so I'm like taking a very, very back seat right oh, now. Okay. Them. But um, okay. I guess the way Mendo approached me was he said, oh, we're going to make a stream team and we're going to do a lot of content. I think because a lot of them are in like, quote unquote, contract jail. <laughs> yeah. Where they're still exactly. stuck on orgs, but they can't leave. And there's buyouts, but no one's buying out because Overwatch League is soon. So they more or less just want to stay competitive and put out like obviously educational status style content but they're not like focusing super a lot on it it's more streaming scrims with comms which never happens i think a lot of teams don't ever do that mm-hmm. um and then also releasing they have a vod person that's like watching the overhead and releasing that as well and then obviously harsha and i think it's peak are doing reviews on their own streams so like all six players are streaming their point of view so you can watch like a Anna, you can watch the Lucio, you can watch the Tracer, see what they're doing if you're trying to get some sort of insight. And it's, I think it's more or less Mendo just wants to like stay on top of his game. He wants to stay in the public eye. He wants something to do that's meaningful more so than just streaming ranked. And I think that this was his solution to the problem. And I think it's a really good idea. Yeah. So is it more accurate to call it Mendo and friends the way you phrased it there? <laughs> well, it was, I think what happened, and I might be wrong, I don't want to like start Mendo beef as everyone calls it now, is I think what happened was the rosters came out for the committees and it kind of like lit a fire under him that he wasn't on it. So he like went, he's like going all out on this and it's like his little project. I think everyone's still going with it. I think like he obviously has a lot of support and a lot of players obviously respect him. So I think it's a lot of, he just really wants something that is his and something that he can be proud of and maybe like, just something that people will get behind and associate him with in like a very positive light. Yeah. No, I think conceptually it's a really, really good idea. Um, just having, again, just more educational content, especially for the pro scene. There's, there's a lot of people that, that play Overwatch and and um, not only haven't they, have they, uh, maybe they've seen Overwatch, they just still don't quite understand what's going on just with, with all the casting going on and just a lot, a lot of cam work too. So um, I think this kind of content might might be a way to ease into that a bit, as well as just high level analysis too, possibly. You know, from from a, just a, a, a team that's dedicated to doing that too. Uh, and on top of that, just the, the streams. You know, having some kind of frame to a stream is nice. You know, instead of just having oh, just laddering guys today, just laddering. I'm just playing this hero today. It's kind of a little a bit more interesting. So one thing I do think is going to be a bit of a problem for the team, though, is the idea that the uh, the way it's stated is it's a scrim team, right? Mm-hmm. Where But the idea is that the scrims they do, it's all public content and all the rest. Well, if I'm a team that's prepping for a match against another team in two days, I don't necessarily want that team to be able to go and look at my scrim results with Mendo's team because all those are going to be public. So I do think that there's going to be some degree of trouble for them and getting really high in scrims when you're getting close to bigger tournaments where right now where there's not as much immediately available i think teams are pretty chill with it to go yeah okay we'll scrim whatever but when you get close to something that's bigger or say you're doing something like a carbon series where you know you're going up against a certain team on the very next day i don't think that it's going to be really easy for them to get opponents just because why would as the team that's scrimming them why would you want to show your hand well, yeah, I mean, that's always been a problem, I think, since Overwatch started. I don't think that that's new. It's just most teams don't stream scrims for that reason. It's, there's also the problem of comms. I mean, even for your tryout idea or whatever, like comms in general are very touchy to stream just because some players will say things that maybe 
right. aren't politically correct or are like overly angry or violent for whatever reason, um, just because they're in the heat of the moment of the game. So it's definitely a risk. I think it definitely affects the outcome of their scrims and all that other stuff. But I, th- I don't know, like they're finding opponents. I think people are happy to help them. I don't think that they're like petitioning that they're like a tier one team. So like if you're a tier two team and you get the opportunity to scrim against Mendo and Bonathil, I think you'll take it because maybe you have a hard time getting good opponents. Um, but it's just more or less them trying. I mean, it's obviously hard, but I think I think the goal too is like they're going to join tournaments and then donate all the money because obviously they're not allowed to like technically win under someone else's banner. Okay. I mean, I, at the very least, they do get to donate for a good cause if they win. So yeah. There, yeah. there is that. I'm actually surprised that their contracts allow them to play on AT period because I actually think they could get into trouble there just from a legal perspective. Because if you stop and think about it, right, Flame, where they're on this team, but then say, for example, the team is doing well, and then they're going up against Cloud9 in a tournament, and then they knock Cloud9 out of the tournament. From Cloud9's perspective, they have to look at that and, hmm, we're paying Mendo right now an active salary. He's our guy, and he just knocked our team out of the tournament, theoretically. Yeah, I mean... I don't, I don't know if they're actually yeah. going to be allowed to play in the tournaments, now that I think about it from that perspective, because why would you let your own contracted talent potentially take down your current team? I mean, logistically, I agree with you. Um, realistically, I don't see them beating Fnatic or C9, but it's definitely a valid concern. It's just... for, I mean, for me, with this project, the the play or the focus really shouldn't be about the team aspect of it, you know, and just like how they perform in events and things like that. I think the real interesting part is the content that can be created from it. So, you know, if Mendo is serious about this and wants to do it, he should start a website, you know, start, you know, Overwatch Academy type of stuff, you know, like that, like obviously that's taken, but, but something like that, right. Where it's like a, I wouldn't say a coaching site, but it's something of that sort, an educational website that has, you know, this level of, of analysis and videos and whatever articles that would be great. I think that would be a great play for this type of thing. More so than all the complexity that you just talked about. There's a weirdness that people are signed on different teams and then they're doing, you know, <laughs> they're, they're going to have the you know, troubles of trying to figure that out. Okay, uh, next up on the news, we've got um, the Team Envy roster has uh, announced that they not only added Lou, but they, they, act, they added Effect, too, as subs for a DPS. So the Envious roster now consists of seven people. Uh, haven't got a chance to see Effect play too much, or at least I don't remember seeing him play too much, but what, what do you guys think of this addition? Hmm. It's one of those things where we'll have to see. I mean, obviously they're bringing in effect for projectile DPS. And the question is, is that is he going to be able to play at the level that Envy needs, where most teams right now that are near the top have a player that is just absolutely killing on projectile DPS, where you take a look at a team like Rogue, part of the reason for their dominance is that you had a player, not only do you have players like Soon that are incredible, but you had a player like Nico that went to the hyperbolic time chamber and became a world-beating Genji uh, in the shadows when he wasn't playing. So yeah. I mean, the question is for Envy, are they going to get that from effect? The other question here, too, is that is Louis a good fit for the roster? Is he what they needed? And I'm still in between on that. Like, I like Louis personally. I'm just not sure if he was the absolute right move for Envy to pull the trigger on. Mm, I mean, on the topic of Louis, his personality is generally pretty polarizing, I would say. I mean, I've, I've known him since season one, and we've played together a lot, but he's 
I don't know what the word is. He's not he, in ladder anyway, not in a pro setting. He's definitely disagreeable, but I think that putting him on envious is like, he's not going to argue with them. You know, like you're not going to get into an argument with Chips and Coco about game understanding and yeah. stuff like that. So I think for him, it's a really good fit for them. I mean, I don't know how many better players off ladder you can realistically get. I mean, Louis like solo queued his way up to like top five or top 10, probably like every single season since season one. So individually he's very talented. He definitely understands the game. His aim is fine. He's very good at a multitude of heroes. Um, but in terms of, is it what they need? I don't, I don't know, but I don't know that there was like somebody better to get up, especially if Harry is going to be playing this new role. I mean, off ladder, I like without breaking someone else's contract or pulling someone off another team. I don't know realistically how much better of a player they could have gotten from the NA scene. Okay, but that's just my take. And on effect, I mean, effect's just good. Everyone knows he's good. He's like, he's very well known in the Korean scene. He didn't really have too much success, but he's definitely on everyone. He was definitely on everybody's radar before this. I will note one thing is that you kind of glossed over it, but saying you know could they have broken someone's contract? Uh, I do think that Envy is one of the few orgs that can go out of their way money-wise to break contracts of other players if they felt it was necessary. Uh, whether they needed to in this case or not is a different story, but it is worth knowing that is a real option yeah, for Envy where sure. they're not necessarily bound by the common constraints of, oh, that guy's contracted. I guess I can't steal him. It's like, no, Hastro can bust out the pocketbook if it's necessary. <laughs> so, just well, I mean, people were criticizing, right? Like, you get the Genji like, I mean, or the Genji Farah player, there's not really that many left. I mean, I'm assuming Seagull's buyout's pretty high. I would say Tailspin already had his shot. I don't, like, I realistically, I don't know how many other players, too, though, I guess is where I was going more with that. Maybe from Europe, you could pick up somebody. I'm not sure on the Euro pub scene, but. Yeah, true. All right, we'll see how, that, how they do in uh, Apex with that roster. Uh, another, some bit of news also from uh, Korea is that Lunatic High dropped munchkin and claris and laser kittens end up picking up the two of them together <laughs> so yeah let's talk yeah. about that i think lunatic high dropped them because they said there was some you know i guess issues with uh maybe character issues or you know, just things like that uh and you know laser kittens obviously doesn't have a problem with that and we, we've seen that before in the past too with, with some players being dropped and picked up but what do you guys think about these two I just want to actually comment on Alicus for a second and just really compliment him for being so active in the Overwatch scene. I mean, you talk about owners that are very much into it and looking for any way to bring their team up. You would find it difficult to find any owner more active and engaged than Alicus right now, where even in the aftermath where Internet Hulk leaves Envy, there is a brief moment where Alicus immediately jumps on and goes, Hulk, actually, I'd like to see what you do for Laserkins. Hulk ends up going the rogue, but the point is, is that you got to like Laserkin's future as an org when Alakis is this on top of things where he just immediately pounces on opportunities. Well, the contrary to that uh, yeah. actually <laughs> is that, um, I mean, not to show on Alakis or anything, but he definitely is doing things on his own volition um, and not necessarily informing his players all the time oh. of what's going on. Like oh, I know for a fact that certain players on that team were not aware of Dennis being picked up or stuff along those lines. Um, he definitely did. He was definitely scouting those two players as soon as the news came out. I think even before Lunatic High dropped them, he was in talks with them because he knew that it was probably not going to work out. So like the story with Munchkin is actually kind of, I don't know what the word is. It's, it's not, it wouldn't be so bad if it were an NA, but I think it's obviously a lot worse over there is that he was actually smurfing on his own account or like he was smurfing on an account that wasn't his, like, sh- like just BMing 
all the pro Korean players on ladder and just like pretending that it wasn't him. But then like he would also refer to that alter ego of his and talk about how bad of a person that guy was. <laughs> and then eventually it got exposed that it was him and he had denied it the entire time. He always pretended that it was somebody that he knew, but it wasn't him. And then he's going to when he got picked up, it like came out and he was like, yeah, it was me. I'm sorry. And I mean, I, there's like a lot of rules against uh, account sharing because they're always uh, like bound to your, like, I guess your Korean equivalent of the social security number. Mm-hmm, right. So it's like actually a big deal and they do ban players from it regularly. So he was uh, obviously at fault there. What if he just yeah, likes to talk right to himself? There. I mean, it's okay, I, right? <laughs> uh, it's hard for me to have a really informed opinion on that sort of stuff because frankly, I don't understand all the intricacies to some of the things that come up as Korean drama and how serious it may be where, I mean, just for example, there was a recent drama where AKM, I guess, it doesn't like spicy food. So he posted a picture of like kimchi and just him grimacing going, no, don't want it. And it, that even turned into like some big thing where people are saying, you know, well, AKM, why do you dislike our food? So I, I don't know. I, I can't really offer too much on the Munchkin scenario because I just don't have enough experience in evaluating the meltdowns that have happened yeah. over players that have br- broke social norms that aren't a big deal in the US, but are clearly a very big deal in Korea. Yeah, so you know, maybe Leverkins will be able to you know, um, just uh, take advantage of just the fact that, you know, Lunatic Eye dropped those two players. And that's, it can only help, right? I think those two players definitely help the roster. All right, uh, next up we've got Apex, uh, just a little bit of thing. Apex allowing one sub now during series. And I, have we actually seen it yet? I don't know if we've seen them. They swapped in Kaiser on Friday. Did they? Did they? Okay, I didn't even notice maps, that. Because they were down 2-0. But... Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I, I totally forgot about that. Um, yeah, what do you guys think of that? Just being able to you know, swap folks in between series? Uh, Is this getting closer to what we were envisioning for Overwatch? I think it's a positive element. I think you look at any traditional sport, you clearly have swaps. You don't just have one active playing roster as much as certain NBA teams try in the playoffs where you put LeBron James in for like 40 minutes. But uh, overall, I do like the idea of swapping out players on a team. In fact, my ideal world would probably go far deeper than it's ever likely to go where I think it'd be cool if you had seven players in the booth and mm-hmm. then you could actually swap off mid game where maybe you have a, then you decide who on your team is going to be wow. the hyper specialist, right? right? Maybe you have a guy who's just incredibly good at widow. And all you do is you swap him in to play widow on particular points. And then you swap him back out for someone else. I, like there's really cool ideas that could be done with swapping. I don't think you'll ever get to a point of in game swapping to that extent, but I do like the fact that, it makes map strategy more important. It makes compositions more important, and it lets players specialize and make a name for themselves. So I'm all for player swapping in whatever format it ends up coming in. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I think I generally agree with that. I don't know if I'd love in, just like in-game swapping quite like that, just because, I don't know, I just like it contained at least within the game and having players be put into very difficult situations at times, you know, based on, on their player. But generally, like between series, I'm definitely all for that. Um, okay, EG signs an Overwatch team. So Eastwind is now Team Evil Geniuses. What do you think about this? Uh, and just Eastwind in general. Are they, were they an up-and-coming team, or what were your thoughts on it? 
I think that it's a much better signing post last monthly melee than it probably could have been if they things had gone a different way. I so this is where now that's all said and signed. You know, I can say that we knew that they would be signed by EG way before because they mm-hmm. talked to us about invites, all the rest, and that said, actually, don't announce this as EG. It's not coming out here. And then I remember looking at Eastwind's tournament history, and it wasn't something that was particularly beefy. They really didn't have too many accomplishments to their name. And I remember thinking, uh, EG could be making a mistake here. And what if they go into this monthly melee and they get blown away or they don't even qualify because they had to go through qualifiers. Right. But to Eastwind's credit, they not only got through qualifiers, they had a pretty good showing in the actual melee tournament itself. So it does turn out to be a very good signing for EG. I think it was a bit of a gamble based on what Eastwind had done prior to getting signed, Mm -hmm. but the gamble paid off and EG now has a team that is better than many other orgs could say that they have an overwatch. So kudos to them. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I don't really have any else to add to that. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of their players definitely looked very good on individual levels as well as, like a team shot calling perspective. I mean, yeah. they're they're serious about what they're doing. They have a house already. They had a house before that they even announced the org signing, I'm pretty sure. So mm-hmm. it's good for them. I think that it's I mean, it's just a positive experience for everybody involved. I think that they have a bright future, at yeah. least in some perspective. Yeah, it's good to see Evil Genius back too, or just in this this space. Evil Genius has a long record of esports history in different games. Be great to see them in Overwatch. All right, let's talk about Apex Season 3, which, uh, again, is going on right now. started uh, last week and uh, started off with just the, the two finalists playing in back-to-back games. We had Lunatic High versus Kongdu Panthera. And spoilers, in case you guys haven't seen it yet, uh, Lunatic High ended up winning 3-2, but that was after falling behind 2-0 that they ended up reverse sweeping there. Uh, what did you guys think about that? series anything stand out i mean I, I knew it would be a pretty competitive uh, series but anything particular stand out to you guys worth commenting on i think in general one thing that's always worth noting is that anytime you have a reverse sweep there's always interesting team dynamics to look at there right where you have one team that's well coached enough not to just completely tilt off the face of the world and they're able to bring it back versus the other side where you sort of have the issue of a team that's not able to finish things out so anytime you have that i think it's I generally give more credit to the team that comes back rather than saying that the other team threw. So for me, I think it's just an example that you do have some very well-coached teams out in Korea right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's definitely a testament to Lunatic High's, um, what's the word? Resolve. Oh God, I'm like drawing a blank. <laughs> no, no, no. Endurance. Endurance. Um, okay. But on that same note, Kung Di Panthera like, threw away probably one of the easiest 3 of their lives. So once you do that, I think it was... I don't, I don't want to say it's like over for them, but they picked some maps that I think they shouldn't have picked at the end of the day. They went there like the, the scenario where they win both sky was pretty in their face and they didn't capitalize on it. Um, that might've broken them mentally or something. But again, that goes back to lunatic high just being there. Yeah. They just persevere. They never gave up. They never looked like they were out. Um, and they can go the five games, which I think goes back to like that seven man roster. I think it would be really smart if you just made, if you just picked up another really good shot caller, maybe like similar but a little different than the one that was in the game already because I think that that's the turning point for a lot of these teams is that one player just eventually gets worn down. And I think that that's having a huge impact on the outcome of a lot of these matches where eventually you wind up in these scenarios where three games into the five-game series, your shot caller maybe like gets demoralized or starts losing faith or confidence in himself. And I think that like that's when you should start swapping in new players. But... I think that that's what okay. happened. I think KDP just got ran down, oh. like worn out. 
Well, the idea of fatigue is something that's interesting in general, where is that a real thing? Because I just, I feel like there's not a lot of research there one way or another, where I don't think teams are necessarily looking at from the perspective of, yeah, actually this player gets winded. It's very well documented (laughs) in other sports, right? Where there's a physical element where you actually look at baseball, you had the element of pitch counts developed for pitchers going, yeah, we actually know this guy turns into a pile of shit exactly after pitch 82, 82 pitches and he's done. You don't really have a good way of judging that for for a game like Overwatch or really any esport, but there's very likely the idea that there could be a mental fatigue element yeah. that's worth exploring and I, figuring that I out. I think there is. I mean, and you can tell by just, I mean, looking at results. You know, if there is a pattern to the results and, you know, teams in longer series are losing them very, very consistently, I think that's enough data to say that, that it probably is an issue. Um so, yeah, I, I think there is. I, I think that having two shot callers, that's a good idea. You know, just having, you know, two people on the team that can kind of switch roles. I never really thought about the shot calling being the most mentally taxing, but totally makes sense, obviously. Uh, and maybe a lot of these teams would benefit if they well, did the, have backups. The thing about switching people, too, is that I think you can make arguments for other things, too, right? Where what are human beings, if nothing else, but adaptable? Where if you get the same look thrown at you over and over again, you start getting used to it. But Players have different styles, even among the very best of the game. So maybe you actually have two incredibly strong Genjis on your team, but they have different styles to where maybe you're finally starting to adapt to a guy that's doing really well by map two, but then you put in another guy who's a slightly different style and you're actually not adapting to it well at all. Like these are all cool ideas for where things like swapping could go and just trying to analyze games and figure out what is actually causing teams to win and lose. Yeah, I mean, I guess my logic or the way I approach it, or the way I would approach it, is like you had two Lucios or two Annas or whatever is doing your main shot calling, and maybe that person sitting in the audience, and you're saying, okay, I know why my team is losing. Like I'm analytically watching this match, and I understand what they're doing that we're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. And then you just, all right, like you're out, like tap them in, and then you just start swapping your strategies based on what you've seen. And you could do so much with that. Like that would almost be cheating, in my opinion. Yeah, it almost is. But, um, <laughs> but like it's not, right? Like that's what it, you can do that right now. It's allowed. And yeah, someone's sure. going to do it. I mean, someone will eventually do it and abuse it, but obviously it requires like two specific players and people that are good at that in particular. Yeah, the mental game is so yeah. huge. Just even just the, the different voice, different just changes the confidence level of the entire team, just some freshness of it, and that, that can swing series, as we've seen in Overwatch already. Uh, GP, you were going to say something before I... Oh, no, no. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, the next uh, match, we, we saw another finalist in it in with Runaway versus a uh, Africa Blue. But we didn't quite see the same type of results that we're used to seeing, at least in Season 2 for Runaway. Uh, shouldn't have been, I guess, that surprising, given that Runner was saying that, hey, guys, don't expect the same type of results that you saw from us you know, in Season 2, just because you know there's a lot going on right now. And, and uh, so, sure enough... Uh, a- AFPB ended up winning 3-0, just swept uh, Runaway there. Anything stand out there, given that Runaway, you know, literally coming off of a finals for season two, and it was, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago? It wasn't even that long ago. And we're seeing, you know, a, a pretty drastic change here. I mean, is a good team. It's just, you know, we, we would have expected Runaway to be, at least the old Runaway to beat AFB. What do you guys think? Hi. I mean, players were sick was the mm-hmm. story that they went with. I mean, I, I don't know, whatever. I, I thought that they were getting a sponsor, so maybe there's, like, a lot of internal – I don't know. This is probably one of the bigger things that I think is bizarre about Apex is that 
it could have been the same story in the other finals. Like Lunatic High realistically could have lost 3-0. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. a lot of it has to do with how stressed you are as a team and like you want that time off. I don't know if this is like a mental thing or I'm overanalyzing it, but like if you're runner if you're runaway in Lunatic High, you just like you just played your like games of your life for season two and it was only three weeks ago. So like maybe you wanted that time to cool down because you were the only two teams really playing maybe out of like or four or whatever. I so think really, some, they could have both been 3-0'd. I think there's something more base really at work here, though, is the idea that when you are the king, it's difficult to stay on top, or when you're near the top. Uh, there's really good examples of this across Overwatch competition where a team surprises you, gets on top, and is having better results than expected, and then people go, oh, actually, we're going to look into this team and look into what they do well and what they don't do well, right. and we're going to counterplan around this. Like In the USA scene, you've seen that with Selfless, where Selfless has gotten somewhat more challenged in recent times because people actually know what's coming. They know that, oh, we actually have to deal with the friend. We have to get in his face. They know what they could expect here. Or even a team like Rogue that after not playing for a while, they come back and they're world beaters, right? Where they're just crushing everyone. They get taken to the absolute limit by selfless. So I, I think that once there's enough game tape on you as a team, especially if you've had great success, and especially in Apex where you do have better coaching on the average and what you get in the States. I think that it's unreasonable to expect a team to really stay fully on top for an extended stretch where you will have to reinvent yourself multiple times because people get used to what you're doing. I also think that makes rogue a very interesting story to watch in apex where rogue has not been super adaptable, right? Where rogue basically has their dive comp that they run very well. They don't like getting away from it. Will rogue be forced to switch things up? Well, they have a downturn in the middle of an apex as teams get used to them. Maybe there's a good chance of it. We'll just have to see. Yeah, I think, I mean, to build off that too, I was just going to say like, you have Runaway who everyone knew what the weakness was, right? Like everyone knew that Runners Lucio was having really, really bad time during the finals, but they were on old, old patch during the finals, like really old. They probably missed like a good month worth of Overwatch. So there's like the practice element. There's the fact that Lucio got infinitely harder probably like one of the higher skill cap heroes in the game right now and one of maybe their weakest players is on it so it definitely impact like just from a runaway perspective that was definitely a problem for them i would imagine um Mm -hmm. and then yeah i mean back to the lunatic high stuff like people know what weaknesses are there for lunatic high and you almost we did like again you almost saw kundi panthera just three of them quickly I do do want to note one thing here, and it's a slight tangent, but uh, I do love that the Lucio changes have made some players worse and some players better. And I think it's a good time to show out for FPS royalty and someone like Rafa, where you take a look at Team Liquid's recent performances. Rafa has actually come out and you're just like, wait, what? Because not only is he staying alive in situations where he would die post-patch because he has really good use of his boops, but he also has times where he just outduels people that it wasn't possible before the damage buff. So... It is kind of cool that the Lucio changes have made some players better, some players worse. No, it's Lucio changes. I, I hard I hear to find insane now. It's actually ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, fantastic change. <laughs> like, well, I, don't like think, I don't think there's it, very many people that are arguing about it at this point. And, you know, it, it was, they could have taken it was 100% many, pick rate, right? He's yeah, still 100% pick rate. He still That's is. Yeah, he's 100% pick rate. And now, like, wins can tweet on the cart while soloing your tracer at the same time. So, yeah. you know, phone in one hand, mouse in the other, killing your tracer feels good, man. The life of a Lucio in 2017. <laughs> the life of Genji right now is about, I don't know, once people realize it's so hard now playing Genji, you, do, you dash in, you just get thrown. Like, <laughs> you All get right, Lucio, out. that's a Lucio. Get away from me. 
<laughs> That's right. Genji um, has a chronic case of tinnitus right now, at least when he tries to Well, we had a couple other matches that happened this morning. Again, we're, we're going to save those for next week. But um, if you want to check out Meta Athena and uh, LW Blue playing Conbox and uh, BK Stars, you can go, th- go to OGN Global's uh, Twitch channel and check that out. One thing I'll mention is that it is weird not hearing Monty and Doa casting the matches, I have to say. I've had to get used to it a little bit, but I'm getting used to it now after about two, two, three matches. How do you think they're doing so far, just casting? Uh, Casting-wise, when I watch a lot of Apex stuff, honestly, Mm -hmm. I always go for practice casting because it's how you stay prepped and prepared for some of that stuff. So a lot of times I'm not actually listening to the casting, so I can't actually give too much feedback there one way or another. So what you're saying is you're sitting on Flames Discord and <laughs> casting the whole time. Is that what you're saying? Uh, to some extent. Although I haven't, we haven't done that for Apex. It's <laughs> really good. Apex, like 5 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I was going to say, getting I'm up at 5 a.m. is if I usually just I go to the VOD you know, and just look at it. Because the thing Got is, it. for casting practice, it's very beneficial in most cases to just sit there and really actively involve yourself because that gives you a much better understanding hmm. than simply listening. You're much more likely to zone out if you're just listening to a VOD, even when it comes to prep. So I think as a caster, practice casting is very important. Watch, I didn't watch today, but I watched, I watched last week. I thought that they did really good, or mm-hmm. I was pleasantly surprised, I guess. I mean, I'm, I didn't know what to expect because I didn't really yeah. watch most of the other stuff, like the Challenger series. I think that some of them had done Challengers before, but... I thought Smithy and Achilles like killed it as far as what I like didn't I didn't I didn't have any expectations and I was pretty yeah. satisfied and like pleased with what they were saying and I thought it was a lot better than I like I don't know I anticipated it. I definitely approved. I just missed the I get it from Doa every time I they said it. it so <laughs> right. that was my only gripe. <laughs> uh, good stuff. All right, well, guys, why don't we wrap up? Uh, we didn't really have any questions today. I, maybe we'll take one or two questions from chat. I guess we normally do that. Why don't we take one or two questions from chat, and then we'll uh, call it a day. Any questions you guys want? Real quick, guys. Uh, and if you want to email them, we haven't had any emails in the last few weeks, so um, I'd encourage you guys to email them to the overview at chamanv.tv, and we'll definitely try to get to them. Actually, let me double check. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, I'm, maybe I lied. Let's see. Uh, any questions? Give you guys, like, maybe... Thir- Here he goes. Um, oh, actually, yeah, I forgot about this bit of news. Thoughts on Denial dropping their Overwatch roster? Oh, it's Denial. very simple. It, from all that we heard from the internals is that Denial was not paying them at a level that an Overwatch team needs to be played in 2017 when you get the results that Denial was getting. Mm-hmm. Straight up. Okay, that's mm-hmm. pretty simple. I mean, yeah, it's... It's a mixture of things, but as far as I knew, or based on what I was told, or my understanding was, yeah, that they weren't paying them on time, and maybe they weren't paying them enough. And I'm surprised that they dropped them. I don't know how that worked, like because I don't know if the contract was up. Maybe it was, and they just didn't renew. But it sounded like they just let go of them. So I'm not sure if that was because of bad press. Maybe people were like starting to question like, Oh, why aren't you paying your overwatch players? They're like, all right, we'll get rid of this. I don't know what's now's deal is. I don't have any experience with their management or anything. So, but it seemed like it was a long time coming is where I'm going with that. One thing that's worth elaborating too, though, is that for endemic endemic orgs have a tough time in overwatch right now, period with things like overwatch league coming out and just the immense amount of salary pressure going in. I think it's difficult for a org that is lower on the endemic scale. Like denial is not, 
working with the money that a TSM, a Cloud9, a any of these orgs that you attribute to be really good or envious, like they don't have that level of money. So to keep a team together with far less money in Overwatch when some other very established teams are still very hungry to pull on uh, new players that have talent, it's difficult because the players are going to be knowing what their contemporaries are getting in pay. And if you can't match that pay or keep it somewhere in the ballpark, they're going to leave. And it doesn't matter really what the contract is. They're going to find a way of breaking that contract or at least making it very untenable for you as a sponsor. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit unfortunate for teams that did get into Overwatch earlier, but it is, I guess, a promising sign for the game that you have this level of investment going on and this level of competition yeah. for skilled players. Okay, uh, let's see. One more. <laughs> they want you to talk about the committee again. No, definitely not. <laughs> uh, okay, May 24th. People are asking, first more is asking, new hero for the birthday? There's got to be something big on the birthday. And we were talking about event, but maybe maybe a new hero announcement? You've been working on one, right? That's pretty far along. I think it's likely. I th- I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, it's one of those things where it could be a special event. It could be a new hero. I don't think they would rush out a new hero if it wasn't ready, but I think it was a recent uh, update from Jeff where Jeff said that we actually have a new hero that's pretty far along. We're pretty mm-hmm. happy with it. So did so forth. That'd so it would line up timeline-wise to release a new hero for Overwatch's anniversary. Yeah, but that, that'd be great. There's always things that could come up that could delay that where they go, actually, guys, this hero is just not ready. No, we're not releasing it right now. When's the next animated short, man? I, I've been. I feel like we're we're pretty far since the last one. Maybe with a new hero. Yeah, man. Well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> that said, though, I would consider PVE Uprising the equivalent in some weird way. I think it's more about getting the lore out there. Yeah. So if your story writers are on lore, but yeah, gotcha. Mm, I would. I mean. Doomfist, maybe? Doomfist type? <laughs> I think Doomfist is saved for oh. BlizzCon. I'd be shocked. You think BlizzCon? No. You don't no, think so? I, I don't think, think so. so. Dude, come because on. They've already, you got to save that for BlizzCon. Why would you save that for BlizzCon when they already had the Doomfist stolen months ago? Because like, it's all about like, epicness. You, you can't like steal it for six months and then bring it back. And Dude, like, yeah, it's all the same. It's just like, just kidding. Hey, do I have to remind you of the Sombra no. ARG, guys? I mean, yes, we can. We, we can do it. We can do that for a long time Look, if we want. Doomfist stole the Doomfist and then actually decided that he wanted to just do random shit on the internet and meme for six months before actually going back to being Doomfist. Like, no, I don't think that's going to happen. And you're right. The Sombra ARG was a long tease. But I think the difference there is that Blizzard already said, we learned some key lessons from the Sabra ARG. People were upset with how that went down. So I don't think Doomfist would be teased that long because it's a long time between May 2nd and BlizzCon in early November. All right, I'll throw it out here. Unless there's some like huge ass Overwatch leaks up there. I mean, we all know how what BlizzCon's like. We know what the keynote's like. It's a contest between all of the departments to, to see who can can get more hype from the audience and the crowd and the viewers. I mean, Jeff should so. just get a wrestling ring. And- <laughs> oh my God, yes. Well, that's, I mean, there that it is. We're done here, boys. Soundquake is a, yes. actually a luchador. <laughs> and you get someone to come in in a wrestling yes, outfit dude. from South America yes. to wrestle uh, Jeff. I- Flame, you're just pandering to the spazzo vote right now, dude. Anytime you mention Soundquake, that is... I might have just made a lot of fans, actually. That was a great idea. (laughs) 
Soundquake is Spazzo's uh, waifu, where he has named himself Soundquake and ProTalk for ages. He, anytime you talk about a new hero, he comes up with the idea Soundquake. And it does sound like a good hero, no pun intended. So. Oh, uh, man. I really wasn't trying to make that pun. All right, guys. Well, why don't we wrap up and uh, do some shout-outs? Great having you guys on. Uh, particularly fun having you guys go back, go at it in terms of the committee. But uh, ZP, any shout-outs you want to do? Where can people find you? Uh, shout out uh, as you usually find me Twitter at Tempo ZP. Uh, definitely cast your vote, whoever you vote for. Democracy is your right as a USA Overwatch voter. Vote for the best people you think, and you get three votes, so you can also vote for Flame as well. All right. Flame? Yeah, I mean, same thing. I guess shout out to everyone who's helped me get here. And like, it's been, I've had a lot of really good, I don't know what the word is. I've had a really good experience with everybody just like being very supportive. Mm-hmm. It's very, fulfilling i think so that's awesome but well, let's make let's make any overwatch great again you know let's make yeah, let's make uh, america great Twitter again is not at any matt rod with a zero by the way because if you go to at flame you're gonna get something not flame is there somebody that has flame there's somebody surely has flame right yeah he came into my twitch chat one day tweeted out my picture and then like trolled the shit out of me for like an hour <laughs> oh god what a dick he also yeah, owns right. at booty or something i think <laughs> he's and a, he tweeted out my twitch stream from that account and then i had a bunch of really weird people joining my twitch chat it was a really bad experience <laughs> point being that someone does own that account and it is like a twitter entrepreneur he's a twitter squatter basically yeah, he's a twitter, he is a twitter squatter but got it i don't know what to do about that we'll fix that i mean did he offer to sell you the twitter account no he didn't even offer he deleted all the tweets and then tweeted out one thing i think the, the real problem there flame is that he went to your channel just like uh this guy is gonna pay me a billion dollars for this Twitter channel i'm just gonna <laughs> harass him for an hour and get my enjoyment that i know dude he's like he yeah. like twitted me a little bit i was, I was like okay man whatever <laughs> oh that's crazy uh, but I want to thank you guys for doing the show. Obviously, the two of you guys, all everybody for watching. Thanks for um, you know sticking around after the <laughs> the craziness I had. I'm so glad we made it through the whole thing because man, I was afraid it was going to happen again. But um, you can check, uh, tune in to or check out the VOD on YouTube.com/slash/MMV uh, for this show or this episode or any of the old episodes that we have. And again, you can find the audio versions on iTunes and Google Play and, and SoundCloud. Uh, iTunes refreshes a little bit later, but the other ones actually refresh really quick. So you'll, you'll find those by tonight for sure. And follow the show's Twitter at the Overview GG. But that's going to be it, guys, this week for the Overview. So for uh, ZP, Flame, and myself, Chan Man V, we'll see you next week. <laughs>